Okay, so most of this will be in Matthew 6. Uh, the Lord's Prayer uh, is also in Luke. Interesting the differences between uh, those two versions. Okay, and so Matthew 6 here is kind of, uh, it's amazing how much information um, is just compact in those uh, few words of the Lord's Prayer. But first of all, I just wanted to make the point that Jesus prayed a lot. And wouldn't that be evidence enough to say that this would be in some, something important for you and I? I mean, he's God in human form. Uh, we said that he laid aside his divine prerogatives. He wasn't omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. Okay, And he was in a complete uh, trust relationship with his father. And that's very evident uh, just when we uh, kind of observe his prayer life. So just, just from Luke. Uh, Luke 6, Jesus went up on a hill to pray and spent the whole night there praying to God. And Luke 9, in the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, John, and James with him. They went up on a hill to pray. In Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer in Luke and in Matthew. And then in Luke 23, 22, Jesus left the city and went, as he usually did, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives to pray. Okay, so um, prayer life was was obviously a very important um, thing for Jesus. And um, I know just if we're, if we're realistic, if we're honest, I think um, all of us have sometimes uh, wondered or perhaps even doubted just a little bit about prayer and the efficacy of prayer. When we have verses like this in James, that the prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. And sometimes we wonder, uh, well, maybe I'm not a good person. How come my prayer didn't seem to do much? And uh, I think as we'll see, uh, this is extremely complex. There are many variables, many factors involved in prayer. And it's not just God either deciding to do something or not deciding to do something, or me having faith or not having faith. So the, the passage here of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 starts out with uh, Jesus saying two ways not to pray. Okay, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand up and pray in the houses of worship and on the street corners so that everyone will see them. I assure you, they have already been paid in full. But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you do in private will reward you. And of course, this wouldn't uh, exclude praying in public. I mean, Daniel you know, opened his window, prayed three times a day. But the motivation here you know, their motivation is why they're feeling pretty good about themselves. You know, there's spiritual pride involved in all of this. And then he would say, when you pray, do not use a lot of meaningless words, as the pagans do, who think that their gods will hear them because their prayers are long. Do not be like them. Your father already knows what you need before you ask him. And I think that's an important mindset that when we talk with God, you know, God has uh, pretty good information about what, what's going on in our life. So we're not enlightening him to something that, oh, wow, didn't know about that. So God already knows. Okay, but the, I think this is significant here. Do not use a lot of meaningless words, which can mean to say the same thing over and over, to babble, to rattle off, to speak without giving thought to what is spoken, or just unthinking words. And I think that becomes pretty easy if, you know, if our prayer life is just kind of uh, something that's rehearsed. And even the Lord's Prayer, I mean, most of us probably memorized that. And you can rattle it off without really thinking about anything with regards to content. So 
I think Jesus is saying here, unthinking prayer. Prayer that does not involve an intelligent exchange of ideas, um, that's what the pagans do. And some of you uh, may know about prayer wheels, okay, which have a long history. And, uh, you know, the idea here is you just spin the wheel, the prayer goes up to heaven, and it has the same effect as actually saying the prayer. Okay, and so these can be spun continually. And uh, But what would that say about God? It makes God kind of unthinking, doesn't it? He's just happy. He has no idea where these prayers are coming from. He's just happy to have these ascending prayers uh, go up to heaven. Okay, this is not what Jesus is describing. It's a, it's a meaningful exchange uh, that's supposed to happen. And just if we look at uh, the lives of people like uh, Luther and other people that uh, we might admire, uh, I just I love this passage here describing Luther in prayer, that he did not pass a day without devoting three hours at least to prayer. Okay, you'd have a hard time doing that in medical school, wouldn't you? And they were hours selected from those the most favorable to study, full of adoration, fear, and hope. And here's the key part, as when one speaks to a friend. And I think, I think if I could say in a nutshell, what is prayer? It is conversation with God as you would have with a friend. Okay, and that was the kind of uh, prayer life that Luther had. And we could say the same thing about Moses, who spoke with God face to face just as someone speaks with a friend. Okay, it, it's supposed to be real. It's supposed to be something where we really see ourselves in the presence of God and we, we are experiencing an exchange. So I like this quote here from Steps to Christ, that prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Okay, that's it in a nutshell. That's the, that's the attitude, that's the relationship. Okay, so um, we just imagine here, uh, this was uh, maybe six or seven years ago, that uh, actually I had just given a Bible study and I was on my way home and my phone rang and I looked at it and the name of the person calling was Jesus. And I mean, imagine the shock. You know, I mean, I'd just given a Bible study and there my phone is ringing and I wondered, I mean, it's amazing how many thoughts go through your mind in about two or three seconds. You know, am I, am I getting feedback on this or what should I say? And uh, it actually rang about three times and then I realized, you know, I'm about to drop a call here from Jesus. So, you know, I got very tentatively said hello and uh, then I had a big letdown because a few months earlier I'd ran into a, a gardener here, Jesus, and I put his number in because I wanted to talk with him about a project. So, but it was, it was still a pretty intense experience I had imagining, uh, what's gonna, what exchange is gonna happen. Okay, so what, what is our conversation, um, with God? And I'm not putting this down. I think praise is very important, but if we just imagine, imagine a friend that you talk with periodically. Okay, and imagine if every evening before bed you got a phone call and the person on the other end, uh, just said, boy, you are awesome. You are great. You are awesome. Good night. And that's, that's kind of the end of the conversation. So praise is important. I'm not putting that down. But do we praise God because we think it makes him happy? And uh, is it just because we, we think he's, he likes to hear those words, we'll be in good favor with him if he hears the words of praise? And so we do that. Just uh, we feel better having done that. Uh, that's not describing the exchange that you would have with a friend. Or... Um, you pray for worthy things. I think we should pray for the suffering and the poor. But let's just say your thoughts all day, in fact, deep down, you really don't give a thought at all about the poor and the suffering. 
There are all other kinds of things on your mind. But when you talk with God, all of a sudden, all of these things, you have great concern for the poor and the missionaries and, and things like that. Um, again, do we say things like this because we think it makes God happy? He's very impressed of, of our devotion to the suffering in the world. I think as we come closer to God, we have a heightened sense of suffering in the world and we have a greater real desire to talk with God about things like that. Okay, but um, again, I think prayer, if it's conversation with God is with a friend, you would tell a friend what's really on your mind. Okay, you wouldn't go on and on about something that really is the furthest thing away from your mind. Um, or, you know, how would you like to get a phone call every night and someone says, I need you to do this, 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 and this for me. Goodbye. Okay. Um, again, yes, we should tell God all the little things, everything in our life. That's an important part of prayer. But prayer is not primarily where we come to God with a, a list of things we want him to do for us. It's conversation. And just as an example, um, I'll, I'll read two prayers uh, one from Jeremiah, actually two prayers from Jeremiah, and then one from Moses. And just tell me what you think about this exchange between Jeremiah and God. Jeremiah said, Lord, if I argued my case with you, you would prove to be right. Yet I must question you about matters of justice. Can you question God about matters of justice? Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why do dishonest people succeed? You plant them and they take root. They grow and bear fruit. They always speak well of you, yet they do not really care about you. But Lord, you know me. You see what I do and how I love you. And it almost kind of seems like uh, here God is saying, okay, Jeremiah, out with it. And so here it comes. Drag these evil people away like sheep to be butchered. Guard them until it is time for them to be slaughtered. How long will our land be dry and the grass in every field be withered? Animals and birds are dying because of the wickedness of our people. People who say God doesn't see what we are doing. And uh, these verses, especially in the Psalms, we spent a long time on these when we went through the, the Psalms a couple of years ago, um, are troubling because is this inspired? Is, uh, should we wish for evil people to be dragged away like sheep to be butchered? I think this is inspired. It's inspired to tell us Jeremiah came to God and he was honest. He told him what he really felt. Okay, but this is our, our inspired attitude should be that of Jesus who prayed for his enemies as he died. So we need these verses in the Bible because sometimes we get angry with our enemies. And if you are, tell God. Okay, here we have divine evidence that we can talk with God this way. But it's interesting here, unlike the Psalms, we have feedback. We have God now saying to Jeremiah, kind of a little rebuke here. Jeremiah, if you get tired racing against people, how can you race against horses? If you can't even stand up in open country, how will you manage in the jungle by the Jordan? And a short time later, Jeremiah gets up his courage again. And then I said, Lord, you understand. Remember me and help me. Let me have revenge on those who persecute me. Do not be so patient with them that they succeed in killing me. Remember that it is for your sake that I am insulted. I did not spend my time with other people laughing and having a good time. In obedience to your orders, I stayed by myself and was filled with anger. Why do I keep on suffering? Why are my words incurable? Why won't they heal? Do you intend to disappoint me like a stream that goes dry in the summer? It's, it's quite a prayer, but wouldn't we say it's honest, right? And to this, the Lord replied. And I, I wish in every psalm we had, and now the Lord replied, replied when David you know, wished that his enemies would dissolve like snails, as he did in, in one psalm. But here we have the Lord replying. If you return, Jeremiah... I will take you back and you will be my servant again. 
If instead of talking nonsense, you proclaim a worthwhile message, you will be my prophet again. The people will come back to you and you will need to go to them. And to, to round this out, we should include a lot of the exchanges between God and Jeremiah. But, but here we have God kind of saying, you know, the, those desires for revenge on your enemy, uh, that's not what I wish to reflect. Okay, But it's, it's a great exchange. And, and I'd like to think that Jeremiah uh, learned from that. Okay, one more example, Moses. And again, I give these examples because when you see real suffering, the one approach is, well, we just go home and we just have a very uh, uplifted, holy prayer. And I think the other is if it deep down really seems unjust, I think God is actually pleased when we come and we tell him, that was not just, I don't understand how you could let that happen. And here we have Moses when things weren't going well, that he turned to God and said, Lord, Why do you mistreat your people? Why did you send me here? Ever since I went to the king to speak for you, he's treated them cruelly and you have done nothing to help them. Okay? And the next verse here in Exodus is not God coming, you know, with a hammer to rebuke Moses. He helped Moses and he called Moses his friend. And again, this is how friends talk on occasion. Okay? Complete honesty. So with that point, um, the first one then is prayer is honest conversation with God is with a friend about the things that are really on our mind. So now we get into the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Okay, and there are three parts here we're going to kind of dissect a little bit. Our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we've said these so many times that I think the impact is uh, diluted quite a bit. But there is a lot to this. May your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's let's start with the first part here. Probably something we don't need to say much more about because we've talked about it so many times. May your holy name be honored. And of course, we've said name in the Bible encompasses more than just the name of the individual. It's the whole person. It's the character of the individual. That's a a dominant Hebrew theme. We went through many Old Testament examples. So when Jesus said this in John 17, the night before he died, he's, he's playing into that recurring theme where he said, and eternal life is this, to know you. It doesn't define it by the length of time, by, by a quality, to know you, the only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And he makes it very clear what his work was. I have revealed your name to those whom you took from the world to give me. And I like the message Bible. I've revealed your character. Okay, so to know you and to know, I mean, Jesus' mission was to reveal God's name. Okay, not that we call him by the right name. Okay, but that we really understand God's character. So I think the prayer here, may your holy name be honored, it reflects a real desire that what is accomplished in the world is Jesus' mission, which was to reveal God's character. I think that's just a fundamental wish, a desire that should be a part of our um, prayer life, that the mission of Jesus to reveal God's name, uh, that that would really break out in the world, that message. And may your kingdom come. This is, uh, I think there's a lot of uh, overlap here. But what is God's kingdom? 
Um, it's dangerous to cover something like this in, in just a few short minutes. But when the Pharisees asked when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said the kingdom of God does not come in such a way as to be seen. No one will say, look, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, The kingdom is a, is a fundamental change within us. It's a kingdom within. And uh, even we talk about the gospel, the good news, the good news is about the kingdom. And I think we could say about the king of the kingdom. And this good news about the kingdom will be preached through all the world for a witness to all people and then the end will come. Okay, so it's good news about the kingdom. And if I could just say it in a nutshell, what is the good news? Uh, I would like to go to Romans 1 where Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ for in it, in the good news, in the gospel, something is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. The goodness of God, the trustworthiness of God. That the good news of the kingdom is ultimately what Jesus revealed about the kingdom. It's the good news about the king. It's the good news about the kingdom. So I think it's it's a great good news, small g, you know, that we can go to heaven and all of that. But I think there's there's even greater good news because what would it mean to get to heaven if God is not as Jesus revealed him to be? The ultimate good news is about God, not about us. So in the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. So may your kingdom come. And then finally here, I think a, a very important one. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just when you look at this, uh, where is God's will always being done? God's will is done in heaven. Okay, we are to pray, may your will also be done on earth because it sure doesn't seem like it is very often. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's will is being done in heaven. And prayer life, uh, I think, is to you know, transform us to bring about more often what looks like God's will on earth as well. And I'm sorry I keep showing this. It's just one of the most haunting slides for me. But I think, you know, when we look at something like this, it's um, I'm just, uh, I don't know, I guess repulsed is the only way to call things like this God's will. Okay, we are to pray to intervene that things like this don't happen, to bring God's will to earth. Okay, but uh, what happens so often on our planet is not God's will. Here's God's will, 1 Timothy 2.4. God wants, or God's will, is that all people will be saved and to learn the truth. Okay, so will everyone be saved? Will everyone learn the truth? Well, it, it wouldn't appear that way. And so does God get his will in every way? I mean, God's will is that everyone is saved. Okay, it would appear everyone won't be saved. So we have things happening in our messed up world that go against God's will. It's the problem of free moral agents having the, the freedom to choose to love God or to choose to uh, reject him. Okay, but God is trying to bring us in line with his will that we can bring about his will on earth. So when we read a verse like Romans 8.28, in all things, God is working together with us for the good. That means in all the messed up things, in everything like this that happens in our world, in all of those things, God is trying to work with us for the good. So there's a difference here. Not everything that happens is God working for the good. God didn't bring this about to work for the good. Bad things happen. Okay, and our mission is to intervene in the world to make good uh, out of the mess of our world. And 
and in our first Bible study um, with with uh, with this group, remember we went through the Old Testament, all of the bad things that was going on, even among God's friend friends, and that God was continuing to make good out of it. Okay, he's just he's in the habit of making good out of our mess. Okay, but we are to try to align ourselves with God's will to help him in that process. So these three things are, are really important here. So the second point is that a, the central role of prayer is to participate in bringing God's character, God's kingdom, and God's will to this earth. Now, the next part I'd always uh, struggled with here. Jesus said, give us today the food we need. It would seem like this is kind of a small thing after all of these weightier things. Give us the food we need. Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we forgive the wrongs that others have done to us. Do not bring us to hard testing, but keep us safe from the evil one. Okay, so let's try to break this down. Let's start by give us today the food we need. Okay, so I have a nice uh, veggie burger um, here. And um, I'll tell you why this, um, not that this verse bothered me, but this this subject in general, it just seemed, um, uh, I guess as I've looked at it in the past, relatively small. When you consider the picture previously of the, the suffering child, and all of that, uh, that, you know, I'm going to pray about my food for the day. And I think it could be said that in the context of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, there was poverty and there were people going without food. So it, it was a, a very real concern. And certainly if we were living on other places in the planet uh, in different circumstances, then this would be more of a ready concern. But I think what this indicates is that God really does care about the small things in our life. Things that seem small in, in the bigger picture. Um, when I was a medical student, we had a religion class and we broke up into, I don't know, groups of 20 or 25, whatever. And uh, I just remember being really bothered one day because I had just done a little clinical rotation and had seen a, uh, a child of about three or four that fell into the pool and was on a ventilator and it looked hopeless, brain damage and... You know, the family was there praying, and it was just unbelievable suffering. Probably my first real experience with suffering like that. And it was that week that we had our religion meeting, and we had to go around a circle and, and share something. One of my classmates, and I don't mean this uh, to, to put him down, but shared how they went to the beach that weekend, and they were driving around looking for a parking spot, and they prayed, and a parking spot opened up. And... Uh, I just, uh, I, I was just really upset inside because in the context here of a child who is not healed and then God is working on parking spots. And so I, I went through a, really a, a long time, not just because of, of that, but just that general issue. And it, and it seemed to me that nothing in my life really ranked enough importance to pray about. And so I went a long time uh, really without praying. I, I like this now because... You know, I mean, we have Jesus' words that he sees even when a sparrow falls, the hairs on your head are numbered. And I think we could make a really good case that every small thing in our life, just like a friend cares about the small things in your life, that God is even that much more interested in the small things. Okay, so yes, there are big things. God's kingdom, God's character, world suffering, all of that. But um, our day-to-day concerns are a concern to God as well. And so that, that's been helpful for me in just trying to have an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day to realize that, that he's involved, he's interested. And then another, uh, I think, a challenging part here that in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we forgive others. And just a few verses later, Jesus said, do not judge others so that God will not judge you. 
For God will judge you in the same way you judge others. Okay, what does that really mean? We ask God to forgive us as we forgive others, and we're told not to judge others, or else God will judge us. So some questions I have on this. Uh, Does that mean that if we forgive others and refuse to judge them, that only then God will extend forgiveness to us and not judge us? Is it something we can earn? I forgive you, I don't judge you, and I earn forgiveness, and then God won't judge me. So do we earn a right to be forgiven by God if we forgive others? Do we earn a right not to be judged by God if we refuse to judge others? And I think um, I think what Jesus is describing, um, and something that, that we could say a lot more about, is that the relationship we have with God, there is a one-to-one relationship between that and how we treat others. Okay, we tend to separate the two. We think we can have a wonderful, loving relationship with God and then continually judge and condemn all those around us. Okay, but the two are in perfect harmony. Okay, in fact, to the extent that we see God as he is and we love him as he loves us, we in parallel extend that to others. To the extent that we believe God does not forgive us and that God is unforgiving and judgmental, we are unforgiving and judgmental to those around us. So this is this is more reflecting the reality of how it is. Okay, that the two are one; they're not two separate things. Um, a long time ago, um, I gave a lecture in uh, at Lake Tahoe, and the subject was forgiveness and uh, Jesus' death on the cross. Some pretty meaty su- uh, subjects, and a man came down afterwards, and his eyes were filled with tears. And I kind of assumed maybe it was something that I said. But uh, then he told me that what he was so happy about was he went into a long story about how they almost didn't make it to the meeting, their car broke down, and so on. And what had moved him to tears was that um, someone had complimented uh, his wife based on the length of her dress, which was perfect for modesty, and that he was happy that they'd been a witness to uh, these other people. And as I talked to him a little bit more, you know, he went from judging the teenagers for the music they listened to, for dress, and it was it was just judgmental about everything that you could possibly imagine. And uh, so I think th- that story is just to reflect that I believe his picture of God seemed pretty clear that God is judgmental. God is unforgiving. He needs to be pled with to forgive. And he was living his life in such a careful way to keep all the rules so that God would forgive and that God would not judge him. And that was his picture of God. He extended that to everyone around him. It was very clear. He was judgmental, unforgiving, and and rather severe with with all those around him. So again, this is describing a one holistic process. We take a verse like this in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. So Again, to the extent that we really come to see that God is love personified, that God is forgiveness personified, it cannot help but have a direct impact on how we treat others, the love we extend to others, the forgiveness that we extend to others. It has to work that way. Okay, so the point here is uh, prayer, I think, is to change our view of God. In the process, it changes the way we treat others. We come in the, and if there is a real exchange, we do come to see God in a different light. 
and that has an impact on the treatment of others. And then finally, this last point here, which kind of ties in with uh, our lecture from two weeks ago. Keep us safe from the evil one. Okay, that, that this is in the Lord's Prayer, the evil one here as a person. Now, there's some translations that just say evil, but evil one is the devil. And so uh, used many times elsewhere in the New Testament. In Matthew 13, Jesus used the same word here in this story. When anyone hears the word of uh, the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, a person, and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. And in 1 John, I write to you young people because you have defeated the evil one. And again, we must be like Cain. He belonged to the evil one. So to keep us safe from the evil one, that that's, you know, Jesus has just a few words here on how to pray, how to pray and that this makes it here into the things that we pray about, I think is, is quite significant. We went over last time that the evil one is the prince of this world. That's the title that uh, Jesus was given Satan twice. And that Paul referred to Satan as the god of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And John would say the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That we, we really place a premium on that in understanding our world that there are active opposing forces that are not uh, weak, but that would seem to have uh, real influence. Okay, so prayer in the setting of the cosmic conflict. I mentioned this just very, very briefly um, two, two weeks ago, so now we'll just talk about it a little bit more. And the prayer of Daniel is, I think, just the, perhaps the best illustration of this. It, it's really amazing. Daniel prayed. Okay, the context is he's praying about the people. They need to get out of Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. And he prayed, and 21 days went by, and nothing happened. And then an angel comes and says, Daniel, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayers. Ever since the first day you decided to humble yourself, in order to should be gain understanding. I have come in answer to your prayer. And just an amazing curtain is pulled back to see the effect of Daniel's prayer. It's just amazing. So here's what happened. The angel prince of the kingdom of Persia, can be translated the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, opposed me for 21 days. Now who is that? And then Michael, one of the chief angels, came to help me. Now I have to go back and fight the guardian angel of Persia. After that, the guardian angel of Greece will appear. There is no one to help me except Michael, Israel's guardian angel. He is responsible for helping and defending me. And so Daniel prays, and it just seems like that unleashes this incredible battle okay, of spiritual forces. I mean, I think we'd have to say that uh, this is a, a demonic force that Gabriel, Michael are combating. And it's fascinating just to think that Daniel's prayer was involved in, in this combat, perhaps in unleashing the combat. And that Daniel's prayer was actually influence, influential in God's ability to uh, be victorious. So I think uh, you know, the, the term um, cosmic conflict prayer, maybe it's overused, but it's, it would seem to be a reality. Okay, and so the complexity of prayer is quite amazing. Imagine if, if we never had this uh, description here. We just now yeah, we just wonder why God didn't answer. Well, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Jesus prayed in the setting of a cosmic conflict. Okay, again, the night before he died, he said, Simon, Simon, listen, Satan has received permission to test all of you, or some translations, he's demanded to sift all of you. 
to separate the good from the bad as a farmer separates the wheat from the chaff. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. Okay, did his faith fail? Well, it did temporarily. I mean, do you think it was Jesus' will that Peter would betray Jesus three times? Don't you think he's praying that he would not fail? Okay, but it's interesting. Jesus gained uh, insight here. And when you turn back, so he knew he would fail, the cock would crow three times. And when you turn back, you must strengthen your brothers. So Jesus here in this, again, conversation with his father is praying for Peter. Okay, knows about his overconfidence and all of that. Okay, and realizes he will fail, but that he will come back. Okay, so here again, it's, it's prayer in a cosmic conflict with a real opponent who is actively doing things, uh, following Jesus around, trying to uh, continually mess everything up. So we have things like uh, the disciples could not heal a boy. And it's interesting, Jesus' response, this kind can come out only through prayer. And we read about some of the, the people that Jesus healed. Remember the, the demons here, we are legion, for we are many. I mean, the, you know, the, the demonic forces obviously had an intense interest in what Jesus were doing, was doing. And so I think just kind of the difficulty here Jesus describes, this can only come out by prayer, uh, reflects a, a spiritual warfare. Okay, so prayer is spiritual warfare. And I think it's ultimately to bring about this process here, to bring God's kingdom, God's character, God's will to this earth. Okay, finally, and, and this is much uh, more abbreviated than it should be, the important subject of faith and prayer. So we have Jesus' words that if you ask me for anything, but notice, in my name, I will do it. Anything that is in harmony with my character, anything that's in harmony with my will, I will do it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will ask for anything you wish and you shall have it. So these are very, very strong promises, but yet, at least on one occasion, in Jesus' life, the people had no faith. And in that case, we read that he was not able to perform any miracles there. Okay, so there, there is more involved, again, than just God's will in all of this. Okay, there, there is, again, the free moral agent aspect and uh, our lack of faith in this case. And Jesus, in one town, couldn't do very many miracles. Okay, and this is the last slide here. And, and I hope the point I'm, I'm leaving you with because, again, you will see suffering and you will wonder why. And uh, not to make this too, uh, you know, black and white, but we have this um, issue here of God's will and we do not always align perfectly with God's will. Then there's our will. We are praying for things that are, you know, to some extent in harmony or out of harmony with God's will. Okay, and so there's... There's a complexity there. I think our goal is ultimately to come to see God as he really is, to come in alignment, in harmony with God's will. Okay, when we do, I think that's when incredible things happen. Um, this is, I guess, long enough ago I can tell this, but I had a medical student seven or eight years ago that um, called and asked if I would uh, pray for him on the upcoming um, test. Uh, it wasn't neuroscience, but it was the, the board exam. And... Uh, I struggled with it just a little bit because um, he was pretty open that uh, he hadn't studied very much. And so, sure, I mean, God wants to hear those prayers, but just imagine if everything that was our will uh, happened, you know, victorious football games for our team and um, 
doctors become doctors not because they know anything, but because they pray and God gets them through the test. And, you know, there's a, there's often a separation between God's will and our will. The other complexity here, of course, is the will of other people who are free moral agents. You're praying for someone or for a family, okay, or for starving children in Africa, okay, and there is a, a long complex process, a, a chain of events and complexities that have led to that suffering. And so your prayer, it's not just between you and God, it's often other messed up people that are doing bad things, that have rejected God, and God cannot just uh, do a brain transplant and, and fix all of that. Okay, he chooses not to run his kingdom that way. He allows people the freedom to rebel and to do bad things. So you can pray with faith, vision and conviction about something, but that doesn't take away the free will of others that are related to the prayer. Okay, another complexity, as we've said, um, is faith, our faith, the faith of others. And I think very important here as we consider the complexity of prayer that there is an enemy and opposing spiritual forces that work to counteract our prayers. Okay, I think that's why it is important when two or three come together, you know, when we come together prayerfully as a group and we align ourselves with God's will, I think we take part in that spiritual warfare and that is powerful, makes a difference. Okay, and the last point that, um, that uh, just much more should be said on this, the effects of sin. Okay, we live in a world that has been separated from God uh, to a large extent. And, uh, you know, honestly, every single one of us in this room, if the second coming doesn't happen in our lifetime, we're all going to die. And most all of us are going to suffer in that process. It is a part of living in a world where there is another prince involved, in a world of death and sin. I mean, very rarely does someone die like my, my wife's grandfather, who died at the age of 93, in bed after having a piece of chocolate cake the night before. Most of us suffer. And it would be, I think, um, you know, to ask God to fix every suffering in a world of sin. Okay, no one suffers. No one dies. Um, I think part of the experience of planet Earth, and I wouldn't, uh, you know, explain this to someone um, suffering at the bedside, but the end result, I think, is that we will see not only God's character as seen in Jesus, but we will see the character and the nature of the opposing kingdom, that they will become very divergent in our minds and that uh, the history of planet Earth will, will say very clearly, this is what that kingdom is like and that the future kingdom we're going to be a part of is, is nothing like this. All right. Um, so next time we'll, I think, continue on with another story in Matthew. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, just now I pray that um, your will would be done more often on the earth. And please enlighten each one of us here that we will see what your will is, that we can take part in bringing the good news about who you are, your kingdom, uh, to the world. Help us to reveal that to our patients, to our friends, to everyone around us, and just show us how we can be more effective in doing this. Amen. <clears throat>